That's what happened yesterday. You were stuck in traffic. Really? <laughs> oh, bummer. Uh, Christina, I'm definitely loud for some reason. Uh, test one, two, yeah, about there. Does that sound good? Uh, good, good day, everyone. And uh, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter six. Mark chapter 6, and let's begin with prayer as we do, and let's thank God for our time together, always being grateful for His Word and being uh, grateful for Him in the reminder through His Word of the many wonderful things that He has given us in this life. So with humility, reverence, and great thankfulness, let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, our Holy Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our Lord and Savior by which we can call you Father. We would not be able to do so if it were not for the Son. The Son gave his life so that we could be your children. He called many sons to glory and all who have believed upon him are called in that glory, elected to you, to your family and that forever. You have entered us into union with him, and therefore we have eternal life with him and in fellowship with the Trinity. And of these marvelous things that we couldn't possibly fully understand, but yet what you have revealed gives us uh, something that is of wonder and magnificence. We are so grateful and so thankful. May our hearts come to see in your word the great holiness that you are, the great holiness that we're called to, and to find the courage to live the way that you would have us live, which is our only option because that life is eternal life. So, Father, we ask that through your Spirit, our hearts would be seeing and believing. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. The uh, life that we're given is eternal life. Uh, Eternal life is often looked at, because of the word eternity, is often looked at as a duration. In other words, it, in a length of time. But eternal life is a type of life, much more so than it is a duration of life. Uh, it's a, the life of God, which of course is eternal. He's uncreated. Therefore, no beginning and no end. He's eternal. But there, God has a type of life, and that type of life is the very type that he's given us. Of course, it's, uh, it's conformed to humanity, and, so, and therefore it's modeled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But So, <clears throat> how would God perform, live, think, uh, everything? Everything that is life, imagine, dream, and do, the stuff that he does. And that's what we're going to focus on today is that this life it's not a life of watching, although we do quite a bit of that. You know, we, we watch how uh, the apostles lived it, especially Paul. We watched how the Lord lived it in the Gospels. Uh, and we watch others that we know currently. If you know anybody who's living the spiritual life well, you watch those. Um, but to just watch and not do is, is a failure at this life. Uh, life is meant to be lived and eternal life is meant to be lived. And being lived means that, it, that we're involved, we're deeply involved in doing. And that includes thinking and decisions and uh, you know, making decisions and things that we uh, have to take a risk in faith because we don't know all the ins and outs of how things, all things work. And so we... Trust God, and we we make and we make decisions, and by doing so, we're we're doing as God would do, it, as people, as human beings, and so and that's what I get to. I'm calling this courage, though it, it has other words that it could be explained 
or that would define it. But in this case, in our passage, which is uh, in the events that take place over two to three days in the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth during his first advent. And famously, in these two days, he feeds 5,000 5, people, uh, or at least 5,000 men, and, and he walks on water. And these things happen back to back. And, you know, kind of bookended on this is the disciples are exhausted, and that's how this, this period kind of opens up is that Jesus tells the disciples, you guys need to rest, and he takes them to a place to go rest. But it turns out they don't get to rest. Uh, And that starts it. And then at the end of it is this teaching by Jesus. And his teaching is about the bread of life. And it's a famous, famous teaching in in John chapter 6. And it's magnificent. And so we have this exhausted disciples who, as it says in the Gospel of Mark, they didn't find time to eat. And we can could, we could miss that, but that's important. They didn't find time to eat. That's how busy they were, and therefore that's how exhausted they were. All of us have at least experienced that a few times uh, where you're just so busy you didn't have time to eat and you had to work all day. And you just become drained. And the disciples are drained. They didn't have time to eat. And then a couple days later, Jesus is teaching about the bread of life, that if you eat of this bread, you'll never hunger again. So we have hungry disciples, and then the bread of life, and everything that happens in between. Uh, what the disciples are going to have to learn, what we all have to learn, is to have the courage to live this life uh, and not just when it's easy to do or when we think it's easy to do. Uh, when things are going well. You know, I, I, can, I, can be, I can be kind. You know, part of love, love is kind. Uh, I can be kind when people are kind. You know, I, I can be loving... When people are loving, I just realized I left my door open. Doesn't matter. Uh, I can be, you know, I can be, uh, I can be these things, these virtues, that what I'm called to be, I'll do them when it's convenient and easy. But when it's not, and and I don't. And what that is, the reason why we don't is because. Fear creeps in, uh, and it, it could it could be other things, of course, besides fear. Just a flat out, we don't want to, but um, you know, we fail to trust in this life, this life that is uh, that God has given us, that it is designed for us to live in a certain pattern, in a certain way, which is God-like. So courage is the ability to, by faith, keep on thinking and doing God's will despite fatigue and disappointment. Now, there's a lot more things to courage than just this, but this is what's in our passage. Uh, Courage manifests itself in many ways. It's a broad term that can be seen in in multiple ways. But in this aspect, we, we connect it with virtues like perseverance, diligence, and forbearance. Uh, I'm able to, as Christ said, go the extra mile. I'm able to turn the other cheek. I'm able to uh, give my coat or my jacket or my cloak when, when they take my shirt. Like I'm, I'm able to keep going and keep doing because that's who I am. Right? So why does God keep loving? Because God is love. Why does God keep being righteous because he's righteousness. He, he is these things. And it turns out that we're also these things. And why? And that it, this gets to Jesus' teaching that we could see all the miracles that Jesus does. It's, if we were there with them, we could watch him walk in the water. We could watch him feed these thousands of people. We could watch him calm the storm, and we could sit back and say, wow, Jesus will just do everything for us. 
And even if he did, if he fed us every day and calmed every storm and did every spectacular thing that, that you know, amazed us, if we weren't in Christ, it wouldn't matter. And see, what this whole thing about eating, what he, he's going to say, eat my flesh. What he means is the bread, the bread of life. By taking, by faith in Christ for salvation, and by faith in the gospel, the, the New Testament clearly shows us that we become in union with Christ. Christ even said, he taught this night before he died, that he would be in us and we would be in him. And, and therefore, our lives would be one and the same. And by such, he would transform us within. So when we become born again and saved, we don't change outwardly, but inwardly we change completely. And we become what is uh, a new self, as Paul writes, or a new creature. And as such, we have an inner life that is brand new. And that life, which is composed of soul, heart, mind, spirit, is now uh, entered into the fellowship of the Trinity. And so we're, we're, it's, we're commanded to love. We're commanded to persevere. We're commanded to have the fruit of the Spirit. Right? It, we're, it's not an option. God doesn't say, you know, it would be great if you did this stuff. He commands us to do it because he's given us the life. Now, there's, that's my phone that's going off. That's great. Uh, <coughs> now, the, in, in the, the aspect of this, so why all the miracles then? You know, why the feeding of the 5,000? Why the walking on the water? Why the calm in the storm? Jesus is showing us that he has the power over all things. But then he says to us, I'm not giving you the power to make bread. I'm not giving you the power to walk on water. I'm giving you the power to love like I do. I'm giving you the power to serve like I do. I'm giving you the power to have wisdom like I do. That's the power I'm giving you. And by these great displays in the Gospels, I'm giving you the ability to do, I'm showing you that I can do anything, and then I'm telling you to do things that are invisible. Right? They manifest themselves visibly. Love does manifest itself visibly. But love is in itself an invisible, ethereal thing. Right? It's, it originates in the heart. It originates with God. You know, God so loved the world, and then he gave. So love gives, and you can see that giving. But people can give without having love. But when we have love, then we, we truly do the things that God has called us to do. And it takes courage to throw my life into that. Right? It takes courage because... Uh, you know, we, we have to do this. We can't just, I'm saying, I, I've learned all about love, and I've watched people love, and I watch, I read, and I, and, you know, I get the images in my mind, I see Jesus loving, and I watch this, but I don't do it. And as Paul says, you're, we're nothing if we don't do that. So it's such virtues as courage, uh, and to try and take in every aspect of it is, um, like, courage is a big word, I guess is what I'm saying. So we're going to look at just this particular aspect of courage. The, the ability to keep living the life when it's hard. The ability to keep living Christ-like when I don't want to. When I'm tired. I'm tired of doing it. I've been Christ-like all day. I want a night off. You know, that kind of thing. So the important lesson is that a person needs to be in Christ to be truly alive. Not just watching him do a bunch of stuff. Being in Christ, we are new creatures. The new creatures are transformed within. The life that Christ has given us, which is eternal life of the Trinity, is lived in our hearts. And then, but so some have say, well, yeah, it's all in my heart and my body doesn't do anything. That is a lie. People do this all the time. They've been doing it throughout the church. They've been all, all, oh, they do it all the time. They take an aspect of truth and they say that's the truth and that's the only truth. So we say the spiritual life is within. True. 
But then I'll say, well, and then it doesn't manifest itself outwardly. False. Very false. We're to control this body and use the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. Righteousness is within, but it manifests itself in action. And if I say, you know, I'm righteous and I have love and I have all these great virtues, but there's no manifestation of fruit in me. And Jesus tells me what I am, which is, you know, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, you're about as good as a dried up vine branch. And vine branches, uh, vineyard wood, whatever that is, or they call it uh, vineyard wood, <laughs> I don't know, vine wood, whatever is that, uh, it's no good for anything other than making grapes. You can't build a house with it. Uh, and and it's, you can't even, it doesn't even really make a good peg because it's, you know, it's bendy. And so it's only designed for one thing. It won't do anything else. And Jesus says, if you're not producing fruit, you're a dried up branch. And the dried up branch is only good for one thing. It's only fit for one thing, is to be burnt. And no way means a lake of fire and hell. That would mean salvation by works. It doesn't mean that. He's just telling us, you know, what is the worth of a dried up vine branch? Nothing. And Paul says, if you have faith to move mountains, but you don't have love, you're nothing. And so, this is what Christ is, is uh, providing for us here. He's shepherding us so that we see that it's not just part of the Christian life that I throw my life into and then reserve the rest of my life for me, you know, kind of like paying taxes. It's I have to give him my whole life, my whole heart, my whole life. Now, do we do that overnight? No, we don't. It takes time. It takes time to learn. It takes time in prayer and study and dedication over years to find out, you know, all the parts of me that I've been holding on to that I didn't even know I was holding on to. I didn't even know there were parts of me that God, you know, could even want. And then we find out we find out over time. But so the problem isn't that we're not fully mature at this. The problem is when we determine that a certain amount of service, a certain time of service or dedication or obedience is enough. I say, you know, I, I have about this much obedience and it's enough. I mean, come on, it's better than most. And, and that's actually true. You look around at the world and say, well, I'm better than them. And you likely are. But that's not what God called us to be. He didn't say, you know, I predestined you to be better than the unbeliever. And he said, no, and no he pre, he's predestined us to be Christ-like in the image of Christ. So our uh, so this uh, the life is resting, right? Not watching the Lord do miracles. The disciples are going to be pretty impressed by this, and still they're not going to get it. I mean, how many miracles have they seen, and they still don't get it? Uh, they will, though. That's what's great about it. They will get it. But uh, <clears throat> we're not to just sit back watching the Lord do miracles. This life, the life that he's given us, eternal life, is resting in his ability to do all things while also actively doing his will with joy. Doing his will with joy and knowing that, you know, I probably don't have enough energy to do this. I probably, you know, what, what do I lack? If, if the will is there, you know, the will of God is before me and I say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I don't care how hard it is. I don't, I'm just going to be obedient in all things. Okay, <clears throat> but if I am going to do that, you know, what in me needs to happen? And whatever that is, and I don't think we, we even know the half of it, of all that God does in us. God promises that he'll do that. You need energy? I'll give it. That doesn't mean you're going to be spry, you know, but... It, it, if you need energy, I'll give it. You need wisdom, I'll give it. 
You need ability, I'll give it. You need open doors, you need closed doors, whatever, I'll do it. Just don't sit around saying, and that's what the disciples are going to say. We, we don't have any food. So we have to send them away. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And then Jesus asks them, you know, and I'll get to this here in a second, but their, their idea is that this is impossible, so we can't do it. There's only one recourse, and all these people have to be sent home. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And, of course, they're like, feed them with what? We don't have anything. And yet they failed. They failed to see that the miracle's coming. And so, so, all right, all of us would have done that. Has Jesus made bread out of five loaves to feed 50,000? Uh, 50, he could have fed 50,000. To feed 5,000 people, has that happened yet? No, they haven't seen that. So we can, you know, we can cut them some slack there. But it, it's not... The fault isn't in the disciples' ignorance, although it's not good. The fault isn't in Peter's fear when he does try to walk in the water and he sinks. But that's not good. The fault lies in the fact that if they never changed. If after seeing these miracles, if, say, when when the church started, say, like two years later, if they still don't trust in God to do the impossible, then they're not qualified. Not to be apostles. And look, we're all called, just as they are, to do exactly what they did. But, you know, whatever God's will is for us. <clears throat> it's not going to exactly match their will as we read it in the Scripture, although the only one we really know about is Paul. But we are called to do that which is impossible to love your enemies, to keep going. Now, if they say run a mile, if they say go with me a mile, I'll go too. To serve God. In that passage where Jesus talks about that, he, he says he gives a parable about a master who comes in who uh, no, a ser- the servant has been out in the field working all day and then the servant comes in and it's dinner time and it's time for him to serve the master. And Jesus said is the master going to say to the servant, no, 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 you sit down, you've been working all day, I'll serve you. And Jesus says, no, he's not going to do that because he's the master and that's the servant. The servant is going to serve the master and he's going to do what? Finish his work. Finish that which is required. And in the same way Jesus is saying to us, I have work for you to do. This is, this is eternal life. It's not meant to be pondered and dreamed about, although we do that. But it's meant to be lived. And when it's done, that's when I say it's done. And when it's done, it might be early or late, (laughs) then he's going to give us rest. The disciples have been exhausted, unfed, and they've been serving, serving, serving all day. They want to get rid of the crowd, and Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. Sure enough, they are going to be the ones who feed the crowd, because Jesus is going to make the bread. He's not going to serve the bread. He makes the bread and the fish, and he gives it to the disciples to serve the people. They will give them something to eat. They do this all day. And then when they think it's time to rest, Jesus tells them to get in the boat and go across the river. Uh, I keep saying the river, the sea. Seven miles. It's a seven-mile journey to get across. And it's it's a storm, and it's windy, and the wind is against them. And they've been at it all night. It's not till three or four in the morning, and they're only halfway across, roughly, that they see Jesus walking on the water. And once Jesus gets into the boat, the calm, the wind goes calm. I bet the sea just turned to glass. And finally, they were done. And I bet every one of them crashed. Right? Can you imagine Jesus just now sitting in this boat, and he's got 12 guys around him snoring. Right? Four in the morning. Once, once the work was over and Jesus said, now you can rest, I bet they all passed out. 
And he's the only one awake in the boat looking at these 12 men and thinking, what? (laughs) Yeah, and certainly he would not have been thinking, wow, why did the Father give me such a knucklehead group? He wouldn't have done that. He He would have been knowing and seeing the future. These people, these men, and the others with them, men and women, and this, what was the what would be the beginning of the church would change the world, and it has drastically changed the world. Because some, I know not everybody does this, gave their lives to the will of God. Now we're all called to do it, and all for all of us, and I include myself, in whatever we hold back, in that we suffer. And whatever we hold back from God's will, in that we don't see. There's an aspect of God's life that we're not going to see. There's an aspect of God's joy that we're not going to experience. We're robbing ourselves. We think, you know, by the grace of God, right? He's patient and he lets us get get away with, but he's extremely gracious. And we could go our whole lives being mediocre. He's not going to kill us with thunderbolts and we'll get by we might even have quite comfortable lives but whatever part of his life that we have not submitted to walked into seen explored in those places we will be blind and not experience the joy that is that part of eternal life we won't experience it and therefore we're not we're not benefiting from going halfway or whatever percentage. We're robbing ourselves of that. And, you know, and, and we will suffer for it. I mean, God is, is a gracious Father, and He's going to reveal to us that things are lacking. And the, but then it's up to us to do what we want with that information. So I think we set the scene there pretty well. So we pick it up at the feeding. So, um, you know, on their way to this place where they're going to feed the 5,000, Jesus tells them they have gone out, they have ministered and ministered, meaning the disciples, they've ministered to many uh, for a long period of time. They were so busy that they couldn't even find time to eat. Jesus said, let's go to a quiet spot where you can rest. They get into boats and they go there. And what they find when they get to this so-called quiet spot is that it's packed with thousands of people that are needy. They're needy people. They want healings. They're going to turn out to be hungry. Uh, They need teaching. They need ministering to. They're they're ignorant of who Jesus is and what the ministry is. They're ignorant of a lot of things. They've got to be taught. They've got to be fed. They've got to be served. And... um, the reason why they're there is because they found out somebody leaked it. I wonder if Jesus did. <laughs> and told them, told somebody, you know, hey, we're going to such and such a place. Grab a crowd and go there. I don't know. But they find out. Somebody finds out that they're going to a place to rest. And they get there ahead of them. Uh, according to the gospel, Jesus felt compassion for them. Immediately when he saw them, he didn't respond uh, like that. That's what I would have done. Uh, But he had compassion for them. He saw them as a sheep in need of a shepherd. So the disciples are ministering to them all day. Then they say, look, it's time to send them home. They need to be fed. So look at uh, Mark 6.37. You give them something to eat. Verse 37, he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, this miracle is always called Jesus feeds the 5,000. But technically, it's Jesus makes bread and fish out of a very small stock of bread and fish. And really, the disciples are the ones who feed them. And so this is when he says, you give them something to eat, this actually is going to be obeyed. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give him something to eat? Doesn't that sound like sarcasm? In English, it does. I don't know if it is in Greek. I don't know enough Greek to be able to determine that. But 
you know, in a way they're saying 200 denarii, a denarii is a day's wage. I calculate this to be somewhere around $20,000 in our day and age, our day's money. Um, even if it's 10000 they're not carrying that kind of cash with them. Uh, so what they're saying is, maybe it's sarcastic, shall we do the impossible? Shall we spend money we don't have and go give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. Now, you notice, if you have a New American Standard, go look has an exclamation, exclamation point after it. And I think it's because both go and look are both imperatives. There are two verbs in the imperative, go and see. He doesn't use the word and. There's no and. He says, go look. And possibly, you know, he could have said it calmly, go look. It still would have been an imperative. Or he could have said it loud, I don't know. And they found out, and they said five and two fish. How many loaves do we have? We have five and two fish. Now, you can imagine that the disciples are kind of have the attitude of, see, didn't we tell you? you know, notice what they say before, we don't have $20,000 to go buy food. We'll go, find, go see what we have. And they're like, see, we don't have enough. We have five loaves, two fish. We can't feed this crowd. So they're relieved. I would imagine they're quite relieved because these guys, in the context of the whole day, all they want to do is rest. They, just, they, they want to stop. So he commanded them, verse 39, to recline in groups on the green grass. This is the first time I noticed in this passage that the word green is there. I just always say he told them to recline on the, on the grass. Why is it green? And that's right, it's right there in the, uh, in the Greek. It's the word green. And I think to portray, as Mark does portray here, which is also in John, that this place is very lush. There's nothing to eat, but it's very comfortable. Now, they're not in a wilderness. Uh, so while the disciples are on their feet serving them, the crowd are on nice, lush grass. The needy are comfortable on the grass. And they reclined in companies of hundreds and fifties, and he took the five loaves and two fish. Looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. So he fills, 12, there's 12 baskets. He fills them up. He gives them to the disciples. Each disciple gets a basket. Out they go. They set it down before. You know, a basket is going to probably not even feed 50 people. It might be close, but if you've got 50s and 100s, they're lugging out over 5,000. Or, or Even if, there, there's, only, if there's only 5,000, they're spread out over, I would say, a couple of acres at least. And they've got to walk this, drop them off, and walk back, get another basket, drop it off, back and forth they go. And in verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Now, uh, you notice that Jesus blessed the food and broke the loaves. So when it says broken pieces, this in no way means that the people ate and just like threw, threw bits and pieces like slobs all over the place. They wouldn't have done that. What this portraying is that when God does miracle, and he does miracles in our lives every day, when God does what he does, there's always enough. You know, we, we, It's never like down to the wire. I know it seems like it at times, but you know, the basket's always full. And say, well, I'm about, I am going to drop dead, run out of energy. God says, no, the basket's always full. You're going to go and you're going to do and you're going to serve me until I say stop. And I say, I don't, I don't think I can do that. God says the basket's always going to be full. Always. So, what is, what is this a matter of? It's faith and trust. And believe me, I'm not perfect at this by a mile. But the truth is the truth. 
And the life is the life. And if we don't learn the life, if we're just going to kid ourselves and say, well, it's something less than it is, then we're robbing ourselves at the start before we even go and try and do and live. We're robbing ourselves at the beginning. We must never do that. Jesus here reveals to us that the gas tank will always have gas in it. So, their solution to needy, hungry people when they're tired is to get rid of them. Jesus' solution is to serve them and shepherd them. And so that's what this is about today. The divine life is only in Christ. We're going to get to this uh, soon, probably tomorrow, I would think. But, you know, we'll get when we'll finish this and we see the teaching. This is all leading to the teaching in John 6. It's the same event. That you could eat this bread that Jesus said. You could eat the bread that I made uh, out of the five loaves every day. And I could make food for you every day. But it would do you no good. Now, uh, the human being was not just meant to exist, like an animal, to just get by, to have enough food, water, you know, and, and enough things to satisfy us, to keep us alive. And that's not what we're designed for. Because we're the only, even out of angels, we're the only creatures that are in God's image. And being in God's image, we're designed for much, much, much more. Uh, And so what is that much more? And that's what we find in the Word of God. There's thinking, there's, um, there's intelligence, there's creativity, there's work, there's service, there's love, there's the changing of people's lives, there's the changing of your own life. There's, and really at the head of it is this relationship with the Almighty God that you live in and experience in real time. And that in the, this life that the Trinity has that we absorb ourselves into it and experience and enjoy it. And enjoy it to the maximum. Christ said, I am the shepherd. Who's, I'm the great shepherd, he said in John 10. I came to give life and life abundantly. Not just life, life abundantly. And that's what this is. Divine life is in Christ. I mean, if a person's not born again and saved, this life is cut off to them. But sadly, to a born again, and, and I've been guilty of this more than I want to admit, is that sadly, those who are born again and saved have... Uh, you know, you have to always be careful with the word because the life is always in us and with us and we never lose it as believers. But we turn away from it. We get distracted by something else. We put our eyes, you know, as the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And, and then we, we instead put our eyes on ourselves or on the world or on something else. And look, and so people say, well, all right, I'm going to go join a monastery. Which I, I've been reading or, or listening to this history book and, and learning more about monasteries than I ever have. Uh, and it's, it's crazy. I, I can see why they did it, though. And, you know, for some people in, in certain ages, it's to kind of get away from it all and dedicate yourself to God. But, <clears throat> you know, he told us that we're to be in the world. Right, we're to we're to be witnesses in the world. The uh, so, you know, we're not to just run away from it. It's meant to be lived, and lived now. So turn, uh, go to John fifteen. The solution of being distracted is not to go join a monastery or or to block yourself out from the world. It is to to have your priorities set and to keep our priorities. We have to do what we're doing now. We have to study and we have to pray. 
And we have to do that daily. And it doesn't, I don't necessarily mean, God doesn't tell us how much to study, but day in and day out, we should not, <clears throat> a day shouldn't go by where my eyes aren't on God and on my Lord. Right? It's, it's not that I don't look at the things that I have to take care of. You know, and so I, I'm not going to do I'm not going to do anything or look at anything. I'm just going to look at the Bible all day. There, and in that, you're going to fail as well because you are we are to live in this world and be lights to this world. And locking ourselves in a closet with the Bible is not the way to do that. But to lock yourself in the in the closet with the Bible for a certain period of time, so that your focus. Because we're so easily distracted by things, and we can lose our focus. In other words, looking at the things I have to do through the lens of divine thought. Looking at the people that I have to deal with through the lens of God's love. Looking at the things I have to do just today, because we live one day at a time, through the lens of God's truth. And empowered by the Spirit with faith and fighting the good fight day in and day out. And this takes a constant reminder, really a diligence and a vigilance. Vigilance, not a vigilance. <laughs> What's a vigilance? Uh, a vigilance. To day in, day out, focus on what life truly is. And so, that's what Jesus would, have call, would call here abiding. Uh, the word abide is a very common Greek word. In John 15, 4, he said, abide, abide in me and I in you. Abide is a very common word in Greek that just, it means to remain and not leave. That's what it means. It means to stay in a place. It's often related to a home, but it could mean anywhere. It, it means to remain there. <clears throat> Now, there's theological significance to this because in other passages it is clear that all believers abide in him. All right, so, and this makes sense, of course. We're in him and he's in us. We can't lose that position. So we abide in him always. But here Jesus is talking about bearing fruit. And so this abiding, it becomes a word that Kind of like sanctification, like all of us, all believers are sanctified, meaning set apart unto God. We're holy in his sight. That's what sanctified means. It means holy. But not all of us live holy. And so there's, in other passages, sanctification used in terms of performance and conduct and thinking. Whereas in other passages talk about our sanctification like forever. And both are true. Same thing with righteousness. We're, we're all made righteous. We're imputed with the righteousness of God at salvation, all believers. But not all believers live righteously. Not all believers wear the breastplate of righteousness, which is an active righteousness. And so both, one is true forever. We call it positional truth. And the other is of experience or conduct, practical. Sometimes it's called practical righteousness. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Um, if we abide in him, he says, we will bear much fruit. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. See, the disciples are going to feed the crowd. They're going to pick up the extra. And why were they able to do that? Jesus said, you feed them. And they're like, <laughs> we can't. Well, go find out how much bread we have. See, we told you, we can't. There's not enough. And Jesus said, have them all sit down. Oh, I'm sure they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear, Jesus said, all right, send them all away. And then they would have been like, finally. But Jesus says, have them all sit on the grass, the green grass. And they were probably all like, oh, God. I'm sure of it. <laughs> so, they can't feed the 5,000 on their own. But when Jesus does his miracle, they can. And that see that, that imagery there? And that's what God gives us, these, these historical truths, so that we have the image in our hearts that when I'm starting 
When I start to think, I can't do that. I know it's God's will for me to do it, but I can't do it. I won't do it. I I can't do it. And then if I can remember the feeding of the 5,000, I get the image. And then this is an image too. That the branch, the branch only has one function in life, the vine branch, and it's to produce fruit. But without the vine, it's useless. So the same is true with the miracle. The disciples can't feed the 5,000, but with the vine, with Jesus Christ, they can. So in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And anytime we read this passage, it has to be reiterated because some want to teach that this means that people can lose their salvation or they're not saved if they don't have an abundance of fruit. He doesn't say that anywhere here. The whole of Revelation throughout the scripture tells us that salvation is by faith, not by works. And an unbeliever, however, does not abide in him. An unbeliever doesn't abide in the vine at all. But a believer who doesn't produce fruit does not in experience, I would say in um, active and alert uh, communion, doesn't abide in him. A believer who is distracted by themselves, by life, by sin, by whatever... Has not, does not look upon the vine, does not remember they're a branch, uh, and just goes about like a worldling. Basically, an un, uh, a believer who does not have their heart set on the will of God, they look like unbelievers in conduct very often. They don't really look all that different. Not, not that you have to look, you know, like people need to see, but, you know, in thinking and in conduct, we just revert to the, the uh, rulership of that crazy inmate that we have within us, the sin nature. <clears throat> so what Jesus tells us is that life without him is equivalent to a dried up branch and they have no use. So what do they do with them in vineyards? They burn them. There's nothing, you can't do anything else with them. Uh, and so that's what he's telling us. Those who do not produce my fruit are useless. And it's, you know, is it harsh? Absolutely. It's meant to be. I mean, it, it's, it's, is it really so hard line? I mean, what is this? Fundamentalism? And, uh, you know, people, uh, they, they accuse, and they, people, people who accuse the, the believer who loves the word of God of being inflexible, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. As if the truth is flexible. As if God is flexible. But that's what they want to hear. They want to hear, you know, God's wishy-washy. He's flexible. It's not, you don't have to like give your whole life to God. And, and you don't. You don't have to. I mean, look, we've got a world with eight, almost 8 billion people in it. How many of them are giving their lives to God? I, I don't know, but I'm sure it's not the majority. Uh, and yet they are they they live on, but you know as believers, as those who know the Lord, do we really want to miss out? Do we really want to uh, have a life that doesn't produce much fruit and misses out on you know what the production of fruit is and what it does for us? Now God has His way. It's a, it's you know it, it's not a it's not like a bank account where you know I say well okay tell me this and I used to think this way all the time you know how many good works how much how much time energy and work do I have to put in to you know so that it's okay 
in other words, you know, like my my old high school students, which are all high school students, not all of them, but the majority. You know, just tell me what I got to do to get my C or my C minus and get out of here. You know, get past this. And you know, if it were like that, then it, it really wouldn't be life at all. Certainly not life indeed or life abundantly. Now, this is something, I mean, if it's life abundantly, and it is, that when it's seen, it has its own force of gravity. It has its own force of attraction that is beautiful and wonderful. And once you start to see that, um, you're just drawn to it. And you desire it. And you can have that desire and then day, a day later be completely distracted from it by something else. Like it was there, it was strong, it was real. I'm, I'm not talking about anything that's unreal or, or, uh, or, or phantom. It's, it was there, it was strong, it was real, and now it's gone because of something else. Now i got my eyes on something else. Now, of course, with the apostles, this can't be. <laughs> you have to, they, they can't do what they're called to do and have like a, you know, can you imagine the apostle Paul saying, yeah, you know what, I don't think I want to go on the mission field this year. I think I'm going to take a break. You know, I think I'm going to go on vacation. It's like impossible. But, uh, and, you know, we're we're all called to this. And, you know, as I... <laughs> As I hear myself saying it, I, I also you know, want to temper it with the fact that you know, none of us have reached the heights of spiritual maturity. I mean, I could say finish the race, run the course, finish the race. It takes time. And thank God for the grace of God. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have days where we, we absolutely go on vacation spiritually. There's going to be days like that. We shouldn't have any, but the reality is that we are. And that God's grace is going to be there all the way. You know, those are the days where he is going to manufacture food for you. That he is going to do the miracle. He is going to show you his graciousness and his kindness. And he's going to do it often. A lot. He's going to keep showing it to you. But there will come a point that if we're not getting it, in other words, we get ourselves in trouble, God delivers. We get ourselves in trouble, God delivers. We get ourselves in trouble, God delivers. Does he do that because he condones sin? Heck no. He does it because he wants us to see his grace and mercy. And we see it over and over and over again. And then there comes a time where God's not going to deliver now, sometimes we call that discipline, right? Divine discipline. He's not going to deliver. It's exactly what he did to Israel. Right? We studied the book of Judges years ago, and the judges are just like this. Israel gets himself in trouble. God brings a judge, gets him out of trouble. Israel gets himself in trouble. God brings another judge, gets them out of trouble. And this went on and on and on until, you know, enough was enough. Are you getting it that... I'm delivering so you see my grace and by seeing my grace and mercy and how wonderful I am and loving I am and brilliant I am that you will come to me and obey me and quit this life that is, or behavior, this thinking and behavior that is ruining you. And uh, if we don't get it, then you know the, the point if we don't get the point, then God's going to just allow us to reap what we sow. So, the brand, if branches lack fruit, they are only fit to be burned. And that's Jesus' way of saying to us, uh, apart from me, you do nothing. Right. So, what is a life that does nothing? It's worthless. And, and I... It's where the nothing here would mean anything of substantial value. Anything good, anything that is of goodness that has, is really true. You know, as true in terms of what God does is always eternal things. And 
without him, we, we don't have any of that stuff. And that will be the point of Jesus' message that he'll give them the next day. Right? He's, he's building them up to that. And I guess I'm building us up to that too. But that this feeding, their decisions in send them home, we need to rest, we can't feed them. And Jesus is going to use that. He's setting them up for this. Then he, he will not give them rest. He's going to tell them, get in the boat and go across. It's nighttime. They've been at this all day. Now you want us to row across the Sea of Galilee, which most of them are fishermen. They know what that is, what that journey is. Plus with Jesus, they've done it several times already. And when they get out there, the wind is against them and the storm is against them. And it takes them, they have no sleep. It's all night. They're trying to get across the, the sea. And uh, so the point of the message that Jesus will give them the next day, and that will be just not just them but the multitude, is that they could all be beneficiary, sorry, beneficiaries of his power. They could all get bread made for them every day. They could even see him walk on water. You know, the calming of storms, the Bible often uses storms for the problems of life. And when Jesus calms a storm, he shows us, I can calm anything. I can calm you. Not that I'm, but we say, well, well, here's the thing to do, Jesus. Whenever I get a problem, which are generally of my own causing, that you take them away. That's the calming of a storm. You just take that problem away. And Jesus is like, uh, no, that's not what we're going to do. What we're going to do is teach you, in the midst of the storm, to be at peace. We're going to make you a house built upon a rock. And when the storm comes against it, it's going to stand. But as Jesus said, he says that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, those who are built upon the rock are the ones who hear what I say and do it. Not those who hear what I say and don't do it. The ones who hear what I say and don't do it are the ones built upon the sand. And do it. And that's so, we say, well, it's a life full of works. No, there's a lot of work in it. But it is every thought. Now, I, you know, I know we don't get this perfect, but it, it's every thought, everything we do, every interaction, everything we say is all filtered right through the will of God, the way of God, the way of Christ, with graciousness and love and kindness and strength and courage and faithfulness and goodness and everything. Uh, and all those virtues are in everything that I do. That's the life. So it's not watching or dreaming. Not that we don't do that. We dream about it. Good thing. We watch. I don't know, watch, like watch. It's, it's not just, you know, being spectators. Life is not being a spectator. And it's, it's very easy to think about what, what, what social media has done to society in the, using that word watching life go by. That's what people are doing. They're behind their computers or on their phones watching, watching, watching. Who's doing? Watching about real relationships but not getting involved in them. Or real things to do, real virtue, real good, but not doing them. And uh, the Lord's pointing out to us here that life is not watching or dreaming, but doing. <coughs> Uh, so uh, that gets us to where our <laughs> my brain just shut off. So it's time to go. I don't know what happened. There's, I'm looking at my notes going, no, no, that's good right there. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you for the calling upon our lives that is so high and so great. Would it be a calling from you if it were mediocre? Would it be a calling from you if it were easy for the flesh? 
Would it be a calling from you if the world all wanted it? It would not. So, Father, Your calling upon our lives is magnificent. It is of Christ Himself. And yes, it means dedication of everything. But to whom else would we dedicate? To what would we have that we should actually keep for ourselves? As if ourselves mean anything or of our value. Only you are of value. And so, Father, may your Spirit open our hearts to the truth of that. Courage and dedication. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.